You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Let us begin our time together in a time of prayer. As we aren't able to give as we always have given before here with all the new things going on because of the threat of sickness. Let us uh, have a time where we thank God for what he's given us and that we ask him to continue to put on our hearts what we should do in our giving of our time and our talent and our treasure. And let us ask him even more so to bless it for his kingdom's sake. Let me pray for us. Father, you have been a good God forever and ever. And Lord, we know that during a time than such the one we live in now, you are still sovereign You still work all things together for the good of those that love you and are called according to your purpose, so we trust you. We trust you not just with a sickness, we trust you not just with our careers, but we trust you with our finances, our families, our dreams, our hopes. For Lord, when we met you for the first time in Jesus by your Holy Spirit, you became our ultimate hope, and you are solid. We trust you, Lord, and we thank you for your provisions. We thank you most of all for Jesus, who gave himself generously to the point where he has redefined the word, where he emptied himself even of his life in order to save us, those who are and have been against him until you brought us to life. So Lord, we thank you for that gift of your son Jesus. And I pray now that as we give to you, whether it be dropping an envelope in a box, whether it be going online, and giving there, whether it be sending it in via mail, Lord, we thank you that you continue to multiply your ministry in times such as these. Lord, we thank you for bringing more families into our faith family. We thank you for helping us to be able to share the gospel wherever we go, even though that's limited now. Maybe it's just with our neighbors. And we thank you for the boldness you give us because we've seen and experienced the boldness of Christ in our place on the cross. And Lord, it changed everything. So Lord, we praise you we ask you to multiply what we have given for your sake, that you might use it around the world for your son Jesus' name. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be continuing our series as we are in a short series that we're entitling One Nation Under God. And it is... uh, the right timing for such a talk as we started last week because we were looking at 4th of July. We just celebrated that as a nation. And again, to say it like I said last week, what we talk about here today does not in any way take away from our patriotism or our love of nation, our love of country, our love of brothers and sisters in this country, but it takes it to a new level as we find our ultimate hope not in the continuation of a way made by man, but in a continuation of the way the truth, the life, who is Jesus, who died once for all so that we may never have to die and he will never die again, who resurrected in power and grace and glory and mercy for our peace. And so we find our hope in him. But I will say that as I was growing up, and I'm sure there are others who could relate to this, that I was one who, while I grew up most of my life in this place, I've moved here when I was two years old. My family was from this area. Uh, My parents divorced and We moved back home, and from two and a half years or so on, I grew up in this county. And I 
love this place, but I must say that I always felt like someone who didn't really belong where I was. I always felt like somebody who, I'd put it a different way, I didn't really feel like I fit in where I was. I, I didn't know how to explain it to others. I felt like I was an outsider. I felt at times like an outcast. I felt like someone who was not as connected as I saw other people being connected. I'm not sure how much of that was in my mind, how much of that was true, but it was a real feeling and a true feeling in me. And I do remember that there were seasons of life where I thought maybe this next move to go to college is where I'm going to find my home. And maybe this next move where I, I, I go back to another place or to a new place to, to try to finish up school here. Or, or maybe when I come back to Etowah County, it'll feel like home. And then I went to Fort Worth and across the, it seemed like the world to me, to Maryland after I moved back to Alabama. But I can tell you that even coming back here, there's just a part of it that doesn't feel like home. It feels like there's something that's not exactly the way I hoped it would be or what I see in the movies or what I hear in the way people talk about a place in which they grew up. And I don't know if it was anything else but this, but I can tell you that as a believer in Christ, I believe I know the answer to that one thing, is that we are meant for and built for and created for a homeland that is our true eternal home, and we will never rest fully wherever we reside, whether in the place we were born or in the place we've landed after 20 times moving, that our true home alone is found in the presence of God. And that is a hard thing for us to grasp because we look at our, the landscape of our land and we see many, many people in disarray and many places that are hurting and people that are broken and things that are happening that, that churn our heart and our gut and tell us that things are not right. Things should be different. Things could be better. And we should strive for those things. But we know as believers in Christ, things will never be as they should be until Jesus comes to take us home. And alone in His presence... We call it heaven, having come to earth, as you look at Revelation 21. We're not exactly sure how that's going to feel, exactly the, the, the location of that place in some ways. But we do know this, that home is not just where the heart is. Home is where the Lord is. And where the Lord is, there is freedom. I want us to see what is the summation of this kind of giant pericope, this giant paragraph in the scriptures that we started last week in Ephesians 1, or sorry, Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 18. We pick it up in verse 19. Before we do, let me back up a little bit to see what we're seeing to give some background, make sure that we understand what's about to be said. He says in verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, He's talking about those, that, remember those of you who were outside before? Those of you who were outsiders who weren't welcomed into the inner circle? He said, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In other words, by the sacrificial blood of Christ, by Him giving Himself on the cross, paying our debt for us, enduring all the wrath of God for us in our place on the cross, now we have, through Christ's sacrifice, been brought near. We have access to God. Former strangers, aliens to the commonwealth, to the nation of Israel, but now brought together with God. For, he says, verse 14, for he himself is our peace. 
and that peace that I've never felt until Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. In other words, he lived out all the law to the nth degree that we could never do so that he could bring peace by breaking down the dividing wall of hostility, not just between us and others, but between us and God himself. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near, not just to the Jews, not just to his chosen people, but to all those around the world. And that's possible because he does it through all of us as we go and preach the gospel. In verse 18, for through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Here's where we pick up today. So then, in other words, as a result of all that, Go back even further. Because he chose you before the foundation of the earth, because he has predestined you to be adopted into his family, because he then made you alive when you were dead in Christ, because he has sent Jesus to become our peace for us, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's break down these verses real quick for a couple of nuances for those of you who are like to really get deeper into the word. Right? Look at verse 19. We're going to pack just a couple things quickly. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Taking us right back to verse 12, where he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. He says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, it very much could be talking here about the apostles of the New Testament and the prophets of old. Strange, though, that he would say it in that order. It should otherwise be the prophets and the apostles. And when you go on and read a little further, like in chapter 3, verse 5, you see that, actually, back up to verse 4, it says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, in other words, in the past, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. He's talking about the prophets along with the apostles that Paul refers to in other giftings. And so he's talking about those of the New Testament time, those with Christ and beyond. All right, so we go back and read that again built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, built on the foundation of the word of God, especially as it's been revealed in Christ in the New Testament, the gospels, the truth of Jesus. Everything before was pointing to the need for a savior. And we saw through a, a window that was kind of dim, hard to see through. And now in Christ, the mystery has been revealed. And now we look back seeing that he is the apex of all reality and all existence. His sacrifice on the cross is the apex of the great story of mankind. And now we see that all that we're being built into relies on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets who have spoken of that since. And he goes on. It says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, being the stone that everything else is built upon in this holy 
household, this holy temple. The cornerstone would be the one stone that was laid just perfect, probably one of the largest stones that could support the entire weight of all the other stones upon it. It would be the foundational piece that would be the the one piece that would make sure it would stand sure and steady for all the length of time of life of that building. And we know that we're talking about a building that is eternal. It says, in whom, in Christ, the whole structure being joined together. Notice these, right? This is God doing the work. That we're not joining ourselves together, but in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built. There's God's action again. He's the one building us. It's not us building up the kingdom. It's not us building up the temple. It's God doing that building in and through us, but he's the one doing the building. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me unpack this a little further. We're going to back up. I'm going to give you several points and then some application points on the back side of this. And so let me just begin to do that now. The first thing I want us to see is we see in verse 19, that so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Because of Jesus, we belong to the kingdom of God. We know this. It's a truth we've heard, but let it sink in just a little bit as I read a quote from John Stott. He says, God's kingdom is God himself ruling his people and bestowing upon them all the privileges and responsibility which his rule implies. I'll say that again. It's not about a place per se, other than the fact that God is present. Listen to it. God's kingdom is God himself ruling his people and bestowing upon them all the privileges and responsibilities which his rule implies. To this new international God-ruled community, which had replaced the Old Testament national theocracy. You catch those words? Replacing the national theocracy, one nation, now is international kingdom. Gentiles and Jews belonged on equal terms. In other words, Jews and everybody else. Paul is writing while the Roman Empire is at the zenith of its splendor, he says. No signs had yet appeared of its coming decline, let alone of its fall. Yet he sees this other kingdom, neither Jewish nor Roman, but international and interracial, as something more splendid and more enduring than any earthly empire. And he rejoices in its citizenship more even than in his own Roman citizenship. Its citizens are free and secure. The words no longer strangers and sojourners, but citizens, emphasize the contrast between the rootlessness of a life life outside of Christ and the stability of being a part of God's new society. We We no longer live on a passport, but we really have our birth certificates. We really do belong. This is an amazing thing. And that supersedes the greatest empire ever known to the planet by that point in time. We see that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, there is now a citizenship that is even greater than our temporary citizenship in this country as well. We are now, in Jesus, eternal citizens with the saints of God if we hope in Christ. If you've been saved through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, you now belong to His kingdom. The greatest kingdom in the history of the world, superseding all others, even Rome, even the U.S. And because of God's great love for you, for me, we who were strangers and aliens are now not only citizens, 
but we are members of his household, not just citizens of his kingdom. We are members of the family of God. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Like many of you, I find great pride in being a citizen of the United States of America. I love my country. And although we can have great pride in being a citizen of this place and love this country, we now have something even greater if we are in Christ. We now have these birth certificates which declare we are sons and daughters of the eternal king, the king of the universe. We are divine delegates, if you will, children of the king, carrying the kingdom of God and his great message of peace in Jesus wherever we go, royal ambassadors, if you might say. We as Southern Baptists remember those terms, right? We are no longer simply individuals living out our lives for the narrow goal of pursuing our own individual life, our own individual liberty, and our myopic happiness. We are part of a greater work of God who is building us not only into a kingdom and not only a family, but he is building us into his very own holy temple. Look at the verses that go on. Verse 20, built on the prophets, his household, built on the prophets, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. People don't have to travel to Israel to experience the presence of the living God. The scriptures tell us, Jesus tells us when he talks to the woman at the well, when she's arguing with him, he said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Acts 17 is carried on out when it says, Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. We together, listen, we together are the place where people can meet God face to face. This is not the place. Sacred, holy ground around the world is not the place. We are that place. We have been hallowed. Citizens with the saints. We have been brought into the family of God, now holy, declared righteous by the Son of God who is righteous. We, his holy temple, are being built on the testimony of the New Testament scriptures, and unlike the temples of the past, this temple can never be destroyed. This temple can never be overcome. This temple can never be torn down because it is held together by the strongest cornerstone the world has ever seen, Jesus Christ himself. No one can tear down this temple It will remain forever a holy temple built by God for God for the sake of reaching the world and for the sake of glorifying even more so the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The chief cornerstone being this largest and strongest stone, right, is Jesus. You might ask, how can one man, any man, be that strong? Even the God-man, how can he ensure the stability forever? Such a structure that would be so massive and great. And part of you just go ahead mentally and say, oh, it's just, it's just true. Let me give you one of my favorite preacher's words on it and listen carefully to them. I think it's, 
insightful about what it takes to become that cornerstone. Charles Spurgeon says this, Mark how the divine mind solved that difficulty. God shall become man, very man, and so he shall be of the same substance as the other stones of the temple. Yet shall he be God, and therefore strong enough to bear all the weight of this mighty structure. The top whereof shall reach to heaven. He says, I see that foundation stone laid. Is there singing at the laying of it? No, there is weeping. The angels gathered around at the laying of this first stone. Sad look you men and wonder. The angels weep. The harps of heaven are clothed in sackcloth and no song is heard in that moment. They sang together and shouted for joy when the world was made. Why don't they shout now? Look here and see the reason. That stone is embedded in blood. That cornerstone must lie nowhere else but in his own gore. The vermilion cement drawn from his own sacred veins must embed it. And there he lies, the first stone of the divine edifice. Yet we know it wasn't a dead stone that remained, but a living stone. Because he raised in victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell for our joy, for his glory. And so now he is the living cornerstone that many will stumble across, that many will not understand. Isaiah 28, 16 said to us in the Old Testament, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation stone in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. In the Psalms, the psalmist says this in 118.22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In Acts 4, it's stated this way, that this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, talking to the Jewish leadership, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And 1 Peter says to us, Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, he says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You hear that, brothers? Sisters, you are chosen and precious to him. Those who have sinned against him, those who continue to walk in sin, those who have continued to mar the reputation of Christ, he calls you chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This chief cornerstone of this holy temple who is Jesus, and we are His, the living stones, He is using to build the church into a holy priesthood. It is remarkable that He would choose sinful, failing creatures to do the work that he could do without us, no doubt. But because you are chosen and precious to him, he wants you not only to be taken home, but he wants you to be a part of the taking others home too. He wants you to be on display in this place so that he receives glory. So then let me lead us into some application from this that we must endeavor to pursue if we are going to be his chosen stones, his precious stones that live out our lives in a way that do bring him glory. Let me remind us of a few things. In fact, if we go back, we see in verse 11, it says, therefore remember that at one time you were 
outside. Remember that you were separated, but now in Christ, you've been brought into the household of God, been made citizens of the kingdom with the saints, being made into a holy temple, the dwelling place of God. So let us then, first of all, fight for holiness. We must fight for holiness, brothers and sisters. This is not a passive endeavor in which we find ourselves. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit for a purpose. Why should he, why should he decide to put so much power within us, the power that created everything with a word? How would, why would he do that? Because he's empowering us to fight the sin that so quickly entangles us. Because he is holy. And therefore, we are declared that we would be holy. And so he empowers us with the Holy Spirit. Because the cornerstone of our entire existence gave a holy sacrifice of himself so that we could be holy. Let us fight for holiness. Let us not play and dabble in the things that bring misery and bring heartache and bring suffering. Jesus, the perfect righteous one, gave his life to save and secure us. We've been bought out of our enslavement to sin by the precious blood of the Son of God, our Savior, our Redeemer, our sacrifice. So let us not waste the blood of Jesus, brothers. Sisters, let us not waste the blood of Christ by imbibing in the very things for which he came to die. Let us not go there. Let us not mar the image of God that lives within us by returning to the pig slop that we once wallowed in prior to our salvation. Let us instead rise in the power of the Holy Spirit by his working in us, by our being obedient to him and slay the sin that once entangled us but that now we've been set free from. Let us sojourn through this world in the short time in which we live here as holy ambassadors so that our message will not be overlooked by the filthy sin that might mar the message, that message of salvation and hope that we are to declare by words and deed. Let us be holy because Christ Jesus our Lord is holy. Secondly, let us be committed to the church because Jesus is committed to his church. This is his church. This is not my church. This is not your church, although we are a part of it. He owns this church. He bought this church with his inestimable, infinitely valuable blood. He owns. He is stacking the stones. He is the one building this place. That's why I do not fear what will happen, no matter what might come, because he is sovereign over all things. And this is his church, brothers and sisters. It's not our church. It's not the pastor's church. It's not the deacon's church. This is not the Sunday school teacher's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. This is his church. So we have our hope in him, a sure and steady hope, because he is the living cornerstone. And upon him, nothing can fail. We might fail, but his church will not fail. His mission cannot fail. So let us therefore give our lives to his church the way that he gave his life for us, the church, for his glory, for his fame. Jesus didn't die for a building he didn't die for a Sunday school room. He didn't die for a marquee. He didn't die for anything except for the people that he came to love and seek and to save. And now he has died for them and he has risen for them and he goes to prepare a place for them and now he's called us to be a part of them and so we are no longer outside strangers or aliens but we are a part of the family of God being built into this holy temple for his glory that will rise into the heavens. This will go on and on and on until he chooses to come and get us and we will sing of his greatness now and then. 
even more so when we're unhindered anymore by our sin. Tony Marita says it like this. The church is not a building we go to or an event we attend. The church is family. Living together on mission. Be careful not to treat the church as a hotel. Visiting a place occasionally. Giving a tip if you are served well. Rather see the church as part of your Christian identity and understand that we all have a role in God's household. You hear that, brothers and sisters? We all have a role in God's household. It may be that you have come here and you've been waiting to find that slot. Maybe you needed refreshment. Maybe you needed to be filled because you came empty. But that cannot last forever because God has not only saved you, but he has saved you to the mission. And he has called you and gifted you and he will use you and the church is here not to just serve you, which we will and do, but is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Our job as leaders is to equip, preach, pray, equip. It is the job of the church as a whole, all of us, to serve one another and serve our community with the gospel of Jesus. So let us also be sure that every single one of us understand this truth because this plays right into it and it's demonstrated right here in this text that every single one of us is invaluable to God. That's a funky statement to say right now. God needs none of us to accomplish his mission. So you would think, therefore, that we don't have much value to him. But we are invaluable. We are filled with value, infinitely valuable, I would even argue, because the infinite value of the blood of Jesus was spilt for each and every one of us. And because he is infinite, that declares us then, when he purchased us with that blood, that that blood makes us then infinitely valuable to the one who bought us. So we are infinitely valuable to our God and Father. That's why he would not let us go. That's why he chose us before the foundation of the world. That's why he predestined us to adoption. That's why he sent his son to come and secure us. That's why he then sends his spirit to come and convict us of our sin, turn us from dead to alive so we might believe on him, repent of our sin. This is the way it happens because he loves us, because he sees us as infinitely valuable in his own eyes. Not because of what we bring to the table, but because he chooses to love us. That is our value. That is our worth. That is our great joy. We see it right here. Look at the text and begin all verses. Verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's where we get it, because he is the one who died and went into the ground so that he might rise, and his death secured the cement that brings the building together, and his life secures the life that we all have as living stones, chosen and precious to him. We are invaluable to him, joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, we also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Every single one of us, valuable to him, infinitely valuable to him. So do not wish, listen, I know I do this often, do not wish that you might play a different role than you play, a greater role, or maybe one that seems to be a little bit 
dare I say, sexier to you because it seems to have all the appeal that you would like to have in the role in which you play, a a, a role that makes you want to be a little bit better than what you think you are, a role that thinks to give you a little more value simply because you like that one. It seems to be a better one. It's like everything else. Everybody looks in the mirror, sees the same faults that everybody else thinks they see in themselves. And I tell you now, do not wish you played a different role. See that God shows you to be exactly who you are and to place you exactly where you are for such a time as this. His plan is not haphazard. His plan cannot be overcome. He might call you to one local part of his kingdom, even but for a little while, and then move you to another for the sake of his kingdom work. He might call you to stay in one place for your entire life. But your time in each locale or one locale is specifically and equally important as every other stone in the structure. He might give you different roles within the church as time goes on. But the point is that we must be obedient and satisfied with his declared value upon our souls because he has declared us valuable. And he has proven it by giving us Jesus. Proven it by sacrificing him on the cross in our place. Let's not find our value in what we have or do not have based off a comparison of ourselves with others. Let us not find our worth in that one person or another might say or not say about us or might look at us in a certain way or might speak of us in certain ways or might not or that might give us a certain role because they seem to value us. They might give us a certain uh, responsibility and let us move up in the world. We've moved up as high as we can move up because Jesus has placed us into his holy temple and there is no more up when you have the dwelling of God in your midst as the church, individually living in you. But let us let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, it is not about individualness anymore. We are individuals, but we place too much importance on the individual in this country. We are the body of Christ together, all the members working together, all the members having talents, working together, doing the things God has created us to do. So together we are the body of Christ. Together, this, every single you in this passage is plural. In the Greek, you can see it. In the English, it's more difficult. But we together are being brought into this way, joined together into a holy temple, living stones. Our value is found only in Jesus. And man, are we valuable. He loves us so much. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So let us be devoted, brothers and sisters, to his word, therefore being devoted to Jesus. For it's the very bread of life upon which we are nourished and brought up because it is who he is. Do you understand? When we see his word and eat his word, we are being nourished on him because we are fellowshipping with him, learning of him. Let us be devoted to Jesus then by being devoted to his bride, committed to the church, not once a month, not just in giving, not just in coming, but in being totally devoted to his bride the way that he was totally devoted to his bride. For he gave his, himself up for her very life, died on the cross for her, gave everything for her, spent his entire life on this earth for her and for the glory of his Father. So let us give nothing less than our very own lives to the church. 
I'm not saying that to get more work out of you. I'm saying that because that should be our ultimate commitment in this earth and everything else should point to that. In fact, I would say this, God calls you to your spouse. Yes, that comes before your service within this church, but that's how you love your church, brothers, sisters. If you're not doing that well, you're not doing it. Love your children, yes, comes before your service within this local body. Of course it does because that's how we know you're loving Jesus well. And then you come and love us the way that you've loved them, the way that Christ has loved the church. Let us then be devoted to holiness because he himself is holy. He lived that perfect life we could not live, died the death we deserve so that he could save a people for himself and make us into his holy priesthood. Holy priesthood. The chief cornerstone who is our chief priest, who interceded on our behalf on the cross, who intercedes for us even now at the right hand of the Father, is now calling us to be his holy dwelling place on this earth. Wherever we go, we were born again when we met God face to face and he saved us out of our sin. And now we are being built into this holy residence of God on this earth so that others can meet God face to face through us as Jesus lives within us by his Holy Spirit. Listen to Hebrews as I close. 10. 23 and on. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That's the gospel. Let us hold fast to that. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You have to do that in the context of community, committed to one another. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, even a problem back in that day, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I hear people ask me and others all the time, is this the day? Is Jesus coming back? You see all this stuff happening. Is today the day I have children asking me often, is, is this now? I keep hearing about Jesus going to come back when he gets really bad. I don't know. It could be the day. But what I know is the day will come and Jesus will bring it forth. And what I also know is that if you put your hope in Jesus, then you will go home with him and you will be with him forever. That is our hope. That is our joy. That is our message. That is our lives if you've been bought with the blood of Jesus, resurrected from death to life. So let us be the force of life and hope this city, this county needs. God's kingdom come in us. Sinners. Us sinners saved by grace for his holy name to be declared so that all might come to know him and might join our ranks as sons and daughters of the king. Father, we need you now. Father, we cannot overcome our sin, but you have already won the victory over sin in your son Jesus' death on the cross that he said in his last words, it is finished. So Lord, we are not enslaved to our sin any longer if we have met you face to face, if you have brought us to life, if we have believed on you. We are no longer enslaved to that sin. So Lord, help us to fight our sin. Reveal our tendencies towards sin. Reveal the steps of movement towards sin through temptation. And Lord, help us to insert there the gospel of Jesus. Remind us of the glorious gift you've given us in your son. Fill us with the love you have for your son that we might love him the same as we remember what he has done for us on the cross. And Lord, let us become a holy place for your spirit. And Lord, together as your church, let us be the holy temple 
stones stacked one on another of inestimable value because of Jesus' infinite value. And let us, Lord, find our hope and our joy alone in you. For then people will know that we have been with you. For then when people don't see our perfection, but see our joy, then they will know that it is real. Then they will know that you can change lives, that you can save the lost. So, Lord, help us. Change us. Show us yourselves that we might, yourself, so we might love you and cherish you and be your holy dwelling place in this place, which is not our home. But Lord, because you are with us, we are home already. Lord, we love you. We need to love you more. We believe in you. Help our unbelief. And may you receive all the glory and all the fame. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.